you're Aiden. And you're Lindsay. And this is the last episode of the Bix Do Shakespeare. Yes, it is. Across the previous 72 episodes of this podcast, we have asked many questions about Shakespeare and his plays. Yes, indeed. Such questions as, why did he write this? And when did he write this? But never, who did he write this? That's not just because that sentence doesn't make any sense, but because we wanted to save the question of who until the very end. Because the question of who wrote Shakespeare is actually one of the most hotly contested questions in the world of Shakespearean scholarship. The basic gist of this breaks down into two camps. Those who think the man from Stratford, who knocked up his wife at the age of 20, disappeared for a few years, then showed up in London as an actor and playwright, William Shakespeare, wrote the plays and poems attributed to Shakespeare. These are the so-called Stratfordians. And on the other end of the spectrum are the so-called anti-Stratfordians, those who think that there was another person or a group of people who actually wrote the poems and plays attributed to him instead. Yes, indeed. So we wanted to spend our final episode looking at the preferred candidates, those that are plausible and some of those who are not so plausible, in the one area of Shakespeare research that has maybe drawn more attention than any other in recent memory, the so-called authorship question. Of course, the who part of the so-called authorship question is only one part of this so-called phenomenon. It may be more important to wonder why there is such a concerted academic effort on the part of these so-called anti-Stratfordians to assert that the son of a Warwickshire Glover couldn't have written these works. So we'll also be discussing the psychological and sociological implications of fervent belief in either side of this debate. But to put all our cards on the so-called authorship table, Lindsay and I are both pretty solidly Stratfordians. Though I can see the merit in the other side of the coin. And I personally like to think I'm open-minded enough to not immediately shut out a competing idea. Are you, though? What do you mean? Well, just that there's a lot of evidence to the contrary in that point, that's all. I have never seen any. That's the whole point. What, what do you mean? Never mind, it would take way too long to explain it to you. Regardless! We are going to try and come into this episode with an open mind and look at some of the theories and ideas that make up the modern argument around who authored Shakespeare. Yes, and we'll be taking a look at some of the alternative authors as honestly as we can, but also to be entirely clear, we're going to be having a few laughs along the way. Because some of the more outlandish theories we've come across in our day are, well, kind of silly. Not to say these alternatives aren't possible, or that there's no evidence to support them, but some do beg a little disbelief, and almost all of them rely to some degree on an absence of evidence. There's a sense we got that some people would not believe William Shakespeare, the man from Stratford, wrote Shakespeare's plays unless they personally traveled back in time, witnessed his birth, lived alongside him every day, and then watched him personally handwrite every single play. And that's fine. Skepticism is a healthy thing, and there are certainly gaps in what we know about Shakespeare big enough to drive a 747 through. So today we're going to ride that jumbo jet into the turbulence of the one question we've avoided for the last 72 episodes. Who is Shakespeare? Since brevity is the soul of wit. More of your conversation would infect my brain. Romeo. Wherefore art thou, Romeo? To speak of him as my kinsman, he's a most notable coward. An infinite and endless liar. An hourly promise breaker. The owner of no one good quality worthy your lordship's entertained. I'd beat thee, but I should infect my hand. The lady doth protest too much, methinks. The course of true love never did run smooth. So, Lindsay, uh, after 72 episodes, uh, here we are talking about Shakespeare's authorship. Shakespeare's? Shakespeare's authorship. Aiden had, like, a sip of beer at dinner tonight. He's I don't drunk. drink, so that was, that, that's hit me, okay? Like, let's just be <laughs> honest here. Um, but, yeah, uh, we've avoided this question because it is kind of on the periphery 
of how we wanted to tackle the topic of Shakespeare? Speak for yourself. This is the entire reason that I started this entire this this part of our podcast. What to part? talk about this question. Okay. I've been waiting for three years for this. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. I mean, it's a big question. <laughs> and it's a cool one. It's a fun it's, question. It's a fun question. That's exactly it. It's it's cool to think about. And there's so many elaborate ideas out there. Oh, um, boy. <laughs> yeah. And some of them are just silly. And some of them are awesome and really involved. And like like we said in our in our intro, uh, you know, there are gaps there about what we know. And yeah, you fill them with whatever makes sense to you. I think you. there's like it's it's pretty common knowledge, pretty much common knowledge that there's more we don't know than what we know. Definitely. Right. Especially about the, like biographical details, which is where a lot of the sticking points come from. But but even in terms of like um, knowledge of the subject matter or knowledge of the various languages that the source material came from. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's all stuff that um, anti-Stratfordians um, point to as like in their eyes solid proof that Shakespeare couldn't have written Shakespeare, right? And and that, I mean, that's what I mean when I when I said in the, in our intro that I can kind of see their side of the the coin. It's like, you know, there there are. A lot of gaps, a lot of questions mm-hmm. unanswered. Yep. I mean, and it's it's not a new question just for Shakespeare. I mean, like nobody knows who Homer really was. Yeah. <laughs> you know, possibly was it a guy. He was, a, was it a bunch of guys? Yeah, exactly. Like, um, I mean, not most Homer likely, Simpson. We're well, about. yes. The, well, yeah, we know <laughs> who, who is that Homer is. Simpson. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's it, who wrote these things and yeah. how much we know about them uh, is something that plagues a bunch of literature from you know the pre modern era yeah. you know where it, it, we just don't have that ac- that much access to details about Beowulf. them yeah exactly yeah right. I mean those old ones you know they're probably just poems that you know traveling bards knew and someone just wrote it down and maybe his name was Bible. Homer yeah sure <laughs> let's go there Lens. Um, but yeah it's <laughs> so it's it's not really a unique thing to Shakespeare but yeah because Shakespeare is so amped up, as we've talked about many times in this podcast, yeah. he's you know lifted up to this paragon of of he's English England's national poet. Exactly, right? uh, there's just a lot of weight uh, attributed to him. So there's more interest in you know assigning different names to who wrote it, um, and that's really what it comes down to here. Mm. Um, so at, at a high level generally for these things it's kind of considered that someone else wrote them and either gave them to Shakespeare to publish under his name or um, he was secretly publishing them else otherwise the the poet or the writer was um, and Shakespeare was just around and people were like oh yeah let's give him Credit credits whatever. and whatever and yeah. so it's uh it's kind of a it starts off as kind of a it, there's there's inherently I will say a conspiracy theory aspect to it. Very um, fun. Very yeah. fun. It's always fun to like be like oh well Absolutely. maybe they were all hiding it right and uh, yeah and so there's there's all these factors that kind of that play into how you interpret who actually wrote Shakespeare if you don't believe it was the man from Stratford. Um, so that's what we're going to talk about. Before we get into that, I just on a personal level, Aiden, when did you first come around to hear about this idea of, of Shakespeare not actually writing Shakespeare. My high school teacher may have mentioned something about that. I don't remember which one, mm-hmm. um, but I think we may have discussed it briefly Is in your high school. science teacher bringing it up? Okay, no, you meant I like had three English? different okay, high, okay, yes, English okay. teachers, exactly. Sorry. <laughs> uh, and so it's possible we discussed it there, but I, I really don't remember thinking about it until we were in university and taking our Shakespeare class and and discussing uh, it there. More as like kind of a joking aside. Yeah. 
but it was definitely in the in the cards, shall we say? Yeah. What about you? I think it was probably I, yeah, it probably came up at some point. Like my English teacher offhand made a comment, but mm-hmm. I think around like the early YouTube days, I seem mm-hmm. to remember coming across. You know, somebody had recorded 10 minutes of a lecture on it or something, or there was, you know, a half hour documentary back when YouTube first allowed longer than 15 minute videos or something like that. And I think that was probably the first time that I got into it. And it was, like you said, the conspiracy theory angle of it was really interesting. And um, the idea that you could, you know, Da Vinci code it and you could like Mm -hmm. look through the plays or look through the life and times of, you know... Edward Devere or uh, Henry Neville or something like that and find clues to who, like, he was actually Shakespeare or she was actually Shakespeare um, was kind of exciting, I guess. But I never believed it. No. Like, that was never something that that crossed my mind. Yeah, there was never a point where I was like, the... The gaps of what we know are so big that there's no way Shakespeare could have written it. And I, I remember having... A discussion. It must have been after high school because I feel like we were around a campfire with some friends and we were talking <laughs> about this. Yeah. And I was just defending him, being like, "If he's a genius, you know, he might have only needed five years of education to, you yeah. know, build the basic skills that he would then use for right. the rest of his life, right? And if he's that smart, he could pick up another language or, mm-hmm. you know, learn his little bit more of Latin and Greek or whatever he right. needed, right? So. I do remember talking about it and also having kind of an instinctive, I mean, it's a little classist of me or the opposite of classist of me. It's very yeah. class consciousness of me that, that yeah. I'm, I will immediately defend the, the lower class. They can do it too, damn it. <laughs> you know, you don't have to be a, well, a rich but, aristocrat to But that's, do that. But that gets to the sociological question that we're going to talk about a little bit later yeah. on. Um, and, and I think you're right to point that out because that's kind of how I feel too. Um, there's just like an instinctive feeling that it's kind of arrogant to mm-hmm. assume that somebody from Warwickshire couldn't possibly have written this, right? So, yeah. If you prick us, do we not bleed? So we've talked a lot about what the authorship question is. Um, do you want to get into the history of like where this stuff started? Sure. <laughs> I, think, I think it is kind of interesting um, that, and we've mentioned this many times before, that Shakespeare kind of fell out of favor for about 150 years or so after his death. Like, it it wasn't just because the theaters had closed and the Puritans were running the show, but even after the restoration of the theater, um, English audiences wanted something a little bawdier, a little dirtier. So mm-hmm. you get these, like, drawing room comedy type things and uh, comedies of manner and comedies of error. And uh, so that... Shakespeare didn't fit into that. He was a he was like old fashioned, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it really wasn't until, you know, the mid seventeen hundreds when um well, yeah, when Shakespeare's um reputation began to rise, and then you see the rise of people questioning. His, well, yeah, c- yeah. Because it's tied in inherently to Bardolatry. It's yes. it's yes, it's it as he's elevated the um skepticism and the uh i'm looking for a word where you examine something really closely scrutiny scrutiny is the word Lindsay. thank you uh you know the scrutiny increases as well and it's Mm -hmm. just you know and people are looking at those gaps and saying right "Mm, is that because because especially in the 18th and especially in the 19th century you know classicism was 
top notch. Like, yeah. I mean, if you were not a, a noble or a gentleman or at the an very, aristocrat. An, yeah, yeah. Or, or at the very least in the 19th century, you know, petite bourgeoisie, you know, yeah. like you, you don't have money. You're nothing. You're, you're, yeah. you, you can't possibly contribute to culture or anything like that. Sure. Right. So they, they looked at Shakespeare's story and they were like, Oh, that doesn't compute with our current yeah, understanding it of the fit. world. We got to right? massage it to make it work. So who else could it be? And, yeah. and I think it, it doesn't help much that there are other poets and playwrights who mm-hmm. had much better claims to fame and popularity mm-hmm. um, following the restoration of the theaters, like Ben Johnson, um, Beaumont and Fletcher. These guys had, you know, huge audiences and Shakespeare didn't. Yeah. And I think, um, it's the elevation of him to national poet, I think, and, and it happened so dramatically after, you know, Garrick's Jubilee in 1769. Mm-hmm. Um, it, uh, I think that helps to drive that too. It's like, yeah. it's, it's a, a classist argument and it's the speed of his ascendancy mm-hmm. and it kind of makes maybe a perfect storm, yeah. I guess at the end of the 18th century when, but really things don't pick up until uh, the 18, 1800s, the 19th yeah. century when, um, uh, who was the first one who said it? I don't even remember. We don't have that in our notes anywhere. <laughs> who was the first one to actually there, question well, there it? Was, there were a couple, I think there were even some in the 17th century that kind of, hinted at it if i remember my wikipedia reading correctly um but yeah i mean but yeah. some big names like mark twain oh yeah yeah you know yeah, for sure uh, some heavy hitting russian novelists yeah oh yeah tolstoy tolstoy for sure didn't didn't think he wrote uh, it um, and then the nazis like yeah borrowed shakespeare's claimed him as german like you know it's yeah. it's yeah it's like well, throwing your hat into a ring with the well, nazis and, and it continued even to this day i mean there's lots of big name Yep. Shakespeare scholars and others who, you know, just question it. Roland Emmerich wrote a whole movie about this yeah, and produced it. Absolutely. And Got Shakespearean actors like Derek Jacoby <laughs> and yeah. uh, Mark Rylance. Like these are big names in the Shakespeare community and they're not fully, I don't know how anti-Stratfordian they are, but I mean, yeah, this They were this actors is, doing a gig, so you can't really do <laughs> Well, yeah. no, like they've, they've, they've. Some have come out. Yeah, yeah a okay. little bit, right? Fair enough. But yeah, it's, it's, um, yeah, it kind of picks up speed, speed and it continues this day. I think at one point I read Malcolm X was, uh, yes. a, a, he also supported one yes. of these, these people. And it's just like, it's wild. It, yeah, it's wild. Like, and it's, it, again, I feel like it kind of says a little bit more about you in terms yes. of who you think it might be. Well, uh, and even the fact that you any would, evidence, that you, know, you would really? buy into it. It's almost like you're saying there's a, there's a real, um, this is going to sound really bad, but the, <laughs> but the, whole, anyway. the whole idea Think of Joe Rogan, Lindsay, do you want to get 70 episodes removed <laughs> for what you're about no. to say? Okay. Um, no, it's not that bad. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, but like there's, there's conspiracy theories and anti-intellectualism kind of go together. It's all, but I don't mean that in the way that people who believe in conspiracy theories are inherently stupid. It's just that they think they know better than everybody else. Yeah. So it's almost like at moments where, you know, the Shakespeare zeitgeist is telling us that Shakespeare is amazing. So mm-hmm. think, you know, 1990s, early 2000s, Shakespeare's in vogue. You're going to get people who are like, yeah, but actually, mm-hmm. you know, Shakespeare wasn't Shakespeare. And then you get a movie like Anonymous that comes out in yeah. whatever it was, 2011, right? Yeah. So, I mean, there's, it seems like these things go hand in hand. That mm-hmm. if you're going to have people saying 
Shakespeare's great, you're going to have another subset of people. And they're not a huge subset. It's a small group of people who really think that, and, that believe the anti-Stratfordians. And, and to be clear, uh, within uh, the Shakespeare scholarship, like the world of Shakespeare, mm-hmm. PhD having people, yeah. the, the anti-Stratfordians yeah. are a very, very tiny minority. Yeah. There's under commonly understood historical uh, methods of analyzing who someone was and what their contribution yes. was. There's way more evidence for the Stratford man than anything yes, else. Yes. Um, so the, the, the anti-Stratfordians do generally look beyond that to um, to other well, no, just to other other data points. They don't. They for don't. Sure. They just yeah. kind of reject everything that says Academic. the man from Stratford. Yeah, yeah. yes, wrote the plays, and they right. they choose to look somewhere else and, mm-hmm. and point to those instead of um, yeah, instead of the commonly they accepted do their own history. research. <laughs> Lindsay, there's probably some Andy Stratfordians listening right now. And yeah, just, I know. You're smacking They're doing the their own research. I'm just saying. They, they, they can use Google just as well as we can. There are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in our philosophy. So who are the, the candidates? I think there's, I mean, we're not going to talk about them all. There's yeah, like okay, well, we will link to the Wikipedia page where there are a huge list. Yeah. Um, but we we've picked a kind of top five, yeah, um, that are probably kind of the most likely and most commonly thought of. They're the ones. That, so these five, I think each of these five has a um, like the theory that supports them has a name. They're yes. like yes. the Marlovian theory, yeah. the, Baconites. the Baconian yeah, theory, yeah, yeah. the Oxfordian theory. Like yeah. these are these are the big like the big name. Yeah. Uh, candidates and, and they're all people that were well known at the time they mm-hmm. have a lot of historical records uh, associated yeah. with them obviously um and in the case of our very first one that we'll talk about uh francis bacon he left behind a bunch of his own writings as right. well um to compare to um so francis bacon of course a famous uh philosopher and uh he also served in the court of queen elizabeth and Correct. i believe james as well um maybe not i don't remember the timing exactly but um yeah, and so he was he was a, a heavyweight intellectual of the time, um, and so the theory poking him up as uh, the author of Shakespeare's play really kind of took flight as the great man theory of history. You know, this kind of nineteenth century Victorian, like oh, Napoleon and Caesar are the reasons that Rome and France were great. You know, they really just focus on individual people and kind of extrapolate from there. Hmm. Uh, they really focus on the the upbringing and the 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 deeds of that person then expand that to like their whole character so the best people are always the ones who are do the most good and so the the really the basic idea behind this uh theory is that um bacon was great shakespeare was great we don't know shakespeare wrote it so therefore bacon wrote it and that's kind of like the the high level uh summary of the theory so why couldn't bacon have put the plays out in his own name. Well, Lindsay, this is something that's also going to be across all five is that he couldn't because, you know, he was too big. He was already too high up in court to lower himself to writing plays right. for the plebs in the in the in the Globe Theater, right? Um so literally he as with many of these other ones, the theory goes that he uh handed the plays off to Shakespeare after mm-hmm. he'd written them, had Shakespeare publish and produce them and just never took credit for it as, as writer. Um, and there's, there's a lot of other, uh, 
comparisons that people like to make between Bacon and Shakespeare. Mm. Uh, number one, they they view a lot of philosophical kind of agreements uh, between the two. You know, Bacon was kind of a early proto-humanist type right. thing, which we've talked about Shakespeare mm-hmm. also belonging to. Um, and also that Bacon had access and knowledge of legal processes because he was in the court. Yeah. Uh, he was a scientist, like an early scientist mm-hmm. as well. And, you know, there's some scientific political lingo. Yeah. bent, so yeah. the... the- political intrigue yeah he would have had experience with that yeah so it definitely makes sense and it sounds like there's some uh interesting ways that people have pointed to um to identify him as the author Mm -hmm. using like cryptology yes so this is he was the first one that they really focus on i will not even try and describe it here because it involves uh cryptological yeah. Uh, phrases that I don't really understand. Okay. But basically, it's like if you look at the text of, especially I think people keep going back to the sonnets, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. Um, but if you use a cipher and, uh, you know, the third letter of every second word yes. is whatever and you tie it all together, it says uh, Francis Bacon wrote all of Shakespeare's mm-hmm. plays, basically mm-hmm. is, is what it kind of comes down to. So um, because Bacon was a polymath and he enjoyed math and he liked ciphers and stuff like that, um, the thing is just that, yeah, he he. I think I this. remember I, I watched a documentary, which we'll link in our episode description. If we can find it, yeah. Um, no, I can, definitely, because it was a really well-produced <laughs> one. Um, and I'm pretty sure they talked about his cipher, the, the Baconian cipher or something like that. That sounds familiar. Maybe I'm making it up. I don't know. Well, but someone- I'll go back and find it. And it did seem really complex. But, but there, I mean, the thing that, that you can say about any of these theories is that you can always make up a way to get the evidence that you want. And it does seem like some of this stuff, can you can just pull whatever out of thin air and apply it to a page of text and you'll get some sort of meaning and especially the fact that these were well yeah you're right (laughs) but the fact that they're they're not using you know original handwritten text they're using you know copies of the first folio which would imply that there are um like printers and typesetters and everything involved in this um that I think is a little bit of a, yeah. a sticking point for me that there would be so many people involved in this process to make this well, this is grand the, conspiracy work. This right? is the conspiracy problem, yeah. right? Is like how many people does it take to yeah. do it, and how long can you keep them silent, and uh, what's their impetus and their motive for remaining silent? Like, right. That that's really one of the biggest problems with any of the anti-Stratfordians. Um, why would people not say after both Bacon and Shakespeare are dead? Mm. Oh yeah, I totally know Bacon was writing all those plays. Like yeah, he yeah. he wrote Hamlet, and I saw the first draft, and it was you know it was really good. And like, why would you not want to brag and bring right, that up, right? Like, right. there's just there's so many things that that you kind of have to ignore in order to get there. But having said that, I think that uh, Bacon as an individual fits the profile yes. that you would expect Absolutely. to have written a play well-educated yeah well-educated class creative scientific um intelligent clearly um and and yeah like already kind of working in that humanistic Mm -hmm. uh framework right of uh, like you said a polymath and philosopher and and getting into all these different areas Mm -hmm. it makes sense that somebody like that would be on this list Mm -hmm. Very similar to the second person we're going to be talking about, um, Edward de Vere, the 17th Earl of Oxford. Um, Probably one of the most popular of the candidates. Mm -hmm. The Oxfordian theory, I think, has the most adherence. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So in his case, he was the uh, 17th Earl of Oxford, a very um, high-ranking individual in the um, the court of Elizabeth, the English yeah. court generally. Yeah. I think these earls yeah. are going to be up there. Um, he was a well-known patron of the arts. He mm-hmm. had a lot of family, personal connections to writers. His uncle... Um, apparently invented the english sonnet sonnets. apparently yeah I, re- I read this this morning and i was like Wild. wow that's that is kind of a crazy connection yeah. so i mean and that's what shakespeare used the the you know uh what we talked about in our sonnet episode mm-hmm. um he was well educated he had extensive travels to all the places yeah, that shakespeare especially wrote about. italy i think he traveled mm-hmm. to italy in 18 or 1580s yeah. um but again, that one kind of counteracts it when you realize Shakespeare didn't know anything about Italian geography. <laughs> yeah. He gets things wrong. Yeah, if wrong you're if you're actually if you've been to Italy, you're not like we've joked about. You're not going to say that. Uh, I'm taking the the ship to Verona. Yeah, yeah. Know, inland landbound Verona. We're exactly. taking the boat there. You know. Um, but apart from that, he was also known as a poet, and mm-hmm. um, he. The people have said that he avoided writing because it was beneath him, much like Oxford. But because his poems are known, I think that kind of maybe it counteracts. I don't know. I, I don't know any of the anti-Stratfordian arguments that would well, counter that. But I, I think it's just that, uh, <clears throat> you know, he wrote courtly poems for yes. the court and for the mm-hmm. queen because mm-hmm. that's what was allowed by, you know, romantic and medieval kind of standards of, of court, you know, mm-hmm. ad- address. Um, but he could not write for the for the plebs right yeah and that, that's still kind of the, the key problem um but people assume oh well he did writing over here he must have been doing the writing over here for this too he was just he had his creative outlet and he couldn't get it out until but then. the writing of the poems that he's known to have written and the writing of shakespeare don't match yeah. that, that's yeah yeah like we talked a lot about uh you know the, in the collaboration one about uh stylometrics mm-hmm. and analysis of this all of these people have been run through when they have writing that is yeah. known. They've been run against, like including Bacon. Uh, they've been run against Shakespeare's known writing, and they do not match at all. They, yeah. they stylometrically, there is nobody who is Shakespeare except for Shakespeare. Shakespeare. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, that's that's one another counter argument against the the anti Stratfordians. But um, but the fact that Oxford did write and yeah. he was known to write, and he seemed to, and he was a big patron of the arts again. So yeah. obviously, he did care about. Uh, writing in the creative process um, is one thing, but I, I love that uh, C.S. Lewis yeah. uh, looked at, at the Oxford's uh, poetry and he said it shows a faint talent, but it is for the most part undistinguished and verbose. Yeah. Um, so it did not reek of Shakespeare. It's not like you instantly read and you're like, oh yeah, this feels comfortable, this feels familiar, this feels yeah. like Shakespeare. Uh, anybody who's kind of taking a solid look at his his writing kind of gets that same feeling I, I think unless you kind of go in there assuming this is shakespeare then you might read it and be like yeah this is totally shakespeare 100 percent." right poor yorick i knew him horatio a fellow of infinite jest of most excellent fancy Another thing that comes up in a lot of these uh, anti-Stratfordian alternatives to Shakespeare uh, is drawing parallels between the contents of the plays and their lives. Um, So again, he's traveling to Italy, therefore he can know everything about Italy and write about the Italian plays. Um, There's a lot of and almost all of them point to Hamlet in one way or another. Um, Really? Yeah, it's it's just uh, it seems like it's the play that 
people can kind of look at and and uh, say, well, this this character is unhappy, especially for the aristocratic characters like right. this. Uh, he's an unhappy oh, aristocrat, right. right? And he has to rebel and and you know do Euro away with it. Oxford is Hamlet, exactly. This is yeah. Autobiographical, yeah. Okay, yeah. so yeah. there's 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 that thing as well. Um, also, apparently, apparently, uh, <laughs> his uh, he the night he first met with his wife, uh, he was subject to the bed trick. Like in Measure for Measure? Yeah, just like in Measure for Measure. So huh. uh, I don't know. I think this was from a diary entry from someone else connected to the family or something like so that. So his wife was swapped in for someone else? I don't know. Or, or swapped out for I, someone else? I don't know. I don't know exactly what happened. Weird. Uh, why but, would you write that about? Why would you admit to that? That doesn't seem well, like I mean, something he, you brag he had, about. He had all sorts of mistresses and stuff, yeah. too. So, I mean, he was he was a guy who got around Including town. Including the queen. If, if you think that's possible. We'll let's, get there. Let's, let's talk about that, because that's, <laughs> okay, that's sure. the whole basis of uh, uh, the Roland the, Emmerich's the movie, yeah. Anonymous, yeah. is that the Earl of Oxford and Queen Elizabeth despite their um, massive age difference, had an affair and produced um, Henry Rithesley, the uh, Earl of Southampton, who was the um, the young man that yes, the, the subject poems of the sonnets, were, yeah. or the sonnets were dedicated yeah. to. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't think there's any real academic or valid proof for this theory. It's a, it's a nice little... Um, conspiracy theory, mm-hmm. literary thing you can take and run with, but I don't think it's. But but you know, it it might fit with that. A certain type of theorist who's looking at the plays and looking at the evidence and trying to find a way to make it fit. Yeah, that would make it fit. Yeah, I mean, it's if that. Here's the other thing is like if something like that was true, there's no play. <laughs> like if you're looking to a bi- biography to explain how he's the author, yeah, then there should be a play that matches your crazy thing yeah. of him sleeping with the queen uh, and then, you know, writing plays behind his back. There's just there's there's yeah. nothing like that in Shakespeare's canon. Um, I mean, I guess Hamlet and Gertrude are kind of the closest, but it's bottom and Titania. <laughs> I guess, yeah, but it's just like a complete fool thing. Like, there's, it's just, it's, yeah. it's such a stretch, and, it, and it, it really doesn't make much sense. But I mean, the biggest problem with Oxford or Shakespeare yeah. is the timeline, because uh, the Earl of Oxford died in 1604, and Shakespeare continued writing plays into the 1610s and yeah. wrote about contemporaneous things or referenced contemporaneous things going yeah. on in James the First and Sixth Court, yes. which the Earl of Oxford, being dead. Yeah. Could not have written about yeah. it. So now the anti-Stratfordian response to that is that a lot of Shakespeare's later plays, and we talked about this, do show uh, signs of collaboration. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the the genius Oxford uh, <clears throat> wrote these plays before he died, yeah. maybe over many years before, and then someone took them and touched them up, and then also attributed script doctored them, them Carrie yeah. Fishered them. Yeah, and then also attributed them to Shakespeare for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> because okay. why not? I mean, that, that's that's the other problem. Yeah. Is like after he's dead again. Why does Shakespeare keep getting the credit if, yeah. if he's dead already? You can just, just say it's you, right? Yeah, or if somebody else is doing it, why yeah. are they not taking credit right. instead? Yes. So if you're John Fletcher or something yeah, like that, and yeah. you are script doctoring it, why aren't you taking credit for yeah. it? Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. It's 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 a bit of a stretch. It's a bit but, of a stretch. But I think in terms of having um, the most amount of or the largest amount of. Um, evidence for it the Earl of, Ox- Earl of Oxford does rank 
a little higher. I agree. Countrymen. Hand me your ears. I come to bury Caesar, not to praise him. Third, we have the Earl of Derby. Did I say that right? I, I Derby, think so. Derby, Derby, I don't know. Anyways. You just uh, pronounce all the vowels differently when you get to England, <laughs> and you're probably going to be right. We're going to go to Leicestershire. Jesus and, Christ. And uh, yeah, anyways, so the Earl of Derby was another uh, aristocratic mm-hmm. man of the time. Um, and he, so he, a lot of the things that apply to Oxford also apply to him. Mm-hmm. Um, but the interesting part about uh, his character is that this was predominantly put forward as an alternative to Shakespeare um, by French writers in the really? 20th century. Um, so this was something that kind of started up a bit later than than Oxford or Bacon or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, there's, I love the origin story of this because it just <laughs> it just beggars belief a little bit. But uh, it's all based on a note from a Jesuit priest spy from France in England, <laughs> what? written in 1599. The Derby was involved in writing comedies for the masses. <laughs> James Le Bond is just there. yeah yeah yeah. He's just like <laughs> oh well, it's just God. like okay, is this Father spy James just making? <laughs> so much better Uh, but yeah like is the spy just making stuff up is he hearing things third hand and reporting them and why is he spying on the Earl of Derby no no he's just spying in England generally he's just reporting back on all the goings on of court right he's like and get a load of this guy (laughs) exactly yeah writing comedy well yeah it could be potential blackmail for an Earl right like because again people did want to stay out of the limelight like this Um, and so uh, this was kind of dormant for a long time until the the 20th century Mm -hmm. Um, and then it was Abel Mm -hmm. Lefranc uh uh, I think he was a, a actual writer as well, um, who cited Love's Labor's Lost, interestingly, as as evidence that this person uh, knew France and knew uh, Navarre really well, uh, because uh, apparently uh, the story of Love's Labor's Lost, with you know the the king or the prince hiding himself away, and then the girls show up and tortures him. Four ladies and four... Yeah, four dudes and yeah. all that stuff. Apparently that something very close to that happened. Seriously? Uh, apparently. I, I didn't, again, apparently. go too... Apparently. Uh, didn't go too much into the history of it, but uh, this was kind of a commonly understood thing that had mm-hmm. happened. Um, and so in order to write this play, you huh. needed to understand French and Navarrese society. And he... It's and the Earl of Derby... Thing had traveled there. He'd spent a lot of time in France uh, and knew the language, knew everything Mm -hmm. like that. But he's like, only someone who could have been there knew that and not heard it third hand, like say Shakespeare, uh, could have possibly... Right now. Yeah. And so again, it's it's kind of like focusing in on this one very specific example to say, therefore, this person uh, had to write all the other plays as well. Completely discounting the fact that living in a cosmopolitan city like London and dealing with the amount of people that Shakespeare would have dealt with in, you know, the South side, South bank area. Yeah. That that he wouldn't have come across someone who told some wild story in some tavern about four men and four women falling in love in you know, the countryside in, in Navarre. Yeah. You know, like that, yeah. Never happened, Lindsay. No, never. Uh, <laughs> Couldn't have happened. The, so the interesting thing about Darby as well is that he is very, um, he had an interesting life. He he really did. Uh, I think he was the son of... Um, Another yeah, he was a, Darby? No, it, he was the hmm. son of someone who was going to inherit after Elizabeth if the old rules of succession applied. Oh. So he was potentially yes. in line to I, Yes, you're right. Yeah. So he had he had this whole thing and so in order to survive court and not be murdered and assassinated wow. or imprisoned, he really backed away from the whole court life. Right. Um and he really did focus again on patronizing the arts just mm-hmm. like Earl of Oxford and all this stuff. Um 
and so people read a lot again into say Hamlet and mm-hmm. uh, also into uh, what's that other one where the noble doesn't want to be noble was it measure for measure where the duke walks away yeah 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 so it plays like that they're like this is obviously a sign that this Henry is someone the yeah yeah exactly yeah right so um yeah these nobles who are not happy with their station and want to walk away um and of course uh the i can't remember if it was darby or oxford but they specifically cited uh, the the scene in Hamlet when Hamlet's talking to the players and directing them. Yes, yes, yes. Like as a patron. Right. They're like, only a patron could have written that <laughs> scene. And uh, it just blew my mind because I'm like, no, he was he was on and, the other side of it. after watching a patron or a director tell them what to do, can't possibly turn that around. Never written That's that. That's so funny. So, I mean, it's just those those are the, the, the things that people focus on for this one. Um, and he's also occasionally mentioned as uh, a member yes. of some of the group theories, we'll which, get to the group which we'll talk to. Sure. Yeah, kind of fun. Yeah, double, double toil and trouble, fire burn and cold and bubble. Our fourth candidate is probably one of the more fun ones, and also one of the more um, outlandish, plausibly oh. outlandish, plausibly outlandish. See what it's, I did there? It's Christopher Marlowe. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christopher Marlowe. Um, Marlovian theory of, yeah, uh, which that's is my your favorite. favorite. I know. Oh, God, yeah. Um, sounds good. Notably, Christopher Marlowe died in 1593. When Shakespeare was <laughs> Let's just... Let's just stop it off right at the well, beginning. Well, this is, this is the main sticking point. So Marlowe had this fascinating life. He was a young man. I think he was born uh, the same year or a year before or a year after Shakespeare. So they were exactly the same age. Um, but he was much higher in station than Shakespeare mm-hmm. was. So he managed to go to... Uh, Cambridge or Oxford or yeah. something. Um, very well educated and ended up getting involved, and we know this, um, as so, like involved in some kind of spy activity or uh, espionage type thing for the Elizabethan court, mm-hmm. um, which just lends a whole air of intrigue to Marlowe entirely. Um, so his death in 1593 in a tavern fight, he was, I, I believe, stabbed. Yeah, I believe he so, stabbed. Yeah. Um, does kind of like throw a little bit of a wrench into his being Shakespeare, es- but especially no, sorry, before we even pass yeah. that point, uh, especially because there was like a whole inquest. Fourteen jurors yeah. literally said, "Yep, that's him. Yep, he's yes. dead. Here's how he died." Yeah, everyone agreed on it. Like, there's there's no doubt in terms of classic historicity, uh, he's a dead man. So, right. Yeah. But but he was involved in espionage, mm-hmm. and and it's possible that someone like that would have the means and motive mm-hmm. to fake their own death mm-hmm. and carry on uh, in hiding somewhere, right? So this is a, a fun theory that um, Upstart Crow played with, yep. that, you know, Kit Marlowe is living in the attic in yeah. Shakespeare's house. <laughs> um, but it, it does have some basis in... Well, not basis, I guess, but there there are some real life connections that make it more plausible, yeah. as outlandish as it is. Yeah. For example, um, Shakespeare being mentioned for the first time as, as a writer, a writer yeah. two weeks within two weeks of Marlowe's death yeah. is the first time the first mention of Shakespeare as a writer. So that it could <laughs> it's very coincidental timing yeah. or a sign that Marlowe finally feels able to. Yeah, he's established his, his yes. alternative identity here, and now he's living as Shakespeare, this this man that maybe he killed in a bar fight. <laughs> you know, doing right? sailor and he's yeah. taking over his identity. And then, you know, 
raised his kids. <laughs> For whatever reason. <laughs> For whatever reason. Um, but, but there's others too. I mean, he was obviously a famous writer of yeah. the time. He'd already done a couple pl- big he plays. Was, he was very popular mm-hmm. before Shakespeare was yeah. with um, The Jew of Malta, um, Faustus, yeah. Tamerlane. Yeah. These were all plays that, right? He did Tamerlane. Did he do I Tamerlane? I believe so, yeah. I don't know who else did it. Um, but the the interesting thing with the, um, to parallel uh, or, or connect him to Shakespeare is that these famous plays that Marlowe definitely wrote have, there are similarities. The Jew of Malta, not much different from, you know, Merchant The Merchant of Venice. Of Venice. Um, yeah. And people have commented on that even at the time that it, you know, yeah. it seems like they, yeah. they played off each other they a played, little bit. Yeah, there. well, yeah, and they were competitors and they, of they ripped off each other for sure. Or collaborators. There, There is that theory too. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are like stylistic textual supports mm-hmm. for this. And, yeah. and I'm going to read you two lines here, one from The Jew of Malta, one from Romeo and Juliet. Um, but stay what star shines yonder in the east, the lodestar of my life, if Abigail, from the Jew of Malta, contrasted almost perfectly with but soft what light through yonder window breaks, it is the east and Juliet is the sun. Um, they, it, it, so Shakespeare watched Marlowe and then put this in his, in his play, or um, did Marlowe uh, assume the identity of Shakespeare and just keep going yeah like plagiarize himself yeah as a better writer five years later mm-hmm. you know it's it's interesting and that that is probably that's pretty interesting evidence yeah you absolutely know, to yeah. say that yeah and it's it's one of the few where again stylometrically people have looked at it yeah not a, not 100% work. match but um i think the fact that they worked in the sim- similar mediums uh, they do have similar kind of approaches. They were the same mm-hmm, age. Mm-hmm. You know, they would have been making the same references. Um, they definitely knew each other. They, oh, yeah, yeah. And also, you know, the fact that Marlowe was, again, well-educated, uh, you know, far better than Shakespeare, you know, it, it makes sense that if you view that as being a requirement to write some of Shakespeare's plays, mm-hmm. Marlowe's a good fit. Absolutely that way. Plus, he's got this high-flying lifestyle. Yeah, he's as like a, a cool fucking bad spy, boy. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like, so disgrace, banishment, changed identity, fake deaths. These are all things that Shakespeare loves to play with. If, if I were Marlowe and I'm hiding in Shakespeare's attic and I'm writing plays and he's taking them to market, I'm going to write about what I know, yeah. right? Yeah. That's what they tell you to do. Yeah. So why not? Just makes total sense. <laughs> um, and one other interesting little side bit is the sonnets um, mm. are kind of viewed as very autobiographical for Marlowe, uh, but it's after he's died. So this whole love triangle with the dark lady and the young fair youth and later on the older fair youth or whatever the last phase of the sonnets is, um, that's all viewed as just that's what happened to Marlowe after he quote unquote died. So he was somehow, despite being dead and being one of the most famous figures of the time, (laughs) has wound his way into a, a dastardly love triangle with you know, uh, some high, high born woman. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. exactly. Like, so it's, it's interesting. That's, that's kind of pointed to as, as another, uh, element of the whole Marlovian. I love that. You love that so much. So yeah. All the world's a stage and all the men and women merely play. Our fifth candidate, Henry Neville, Henry Neville. Um, only I, I put him on the list because, uh, that documentary focused mm. very heavily on on henry neville oh, okay. as well good um so yeah i mean what what can we say about him he was uh I, I, sir henry neville yeah yeah so he was high born again uh fairly aristocratic 
Um, ben Johnson helped or offered to help Neville from being identified as the author. Yeah, basically, yeah, that's how the theory goes. Is that yeah, Ben Johnson was like, folio, okay, right? yeah, yeah, I'll write. I'll I won't give in yet. You know, I'll take it to the grave that you wrote these. Right. But this is this is where the the first folio again comes into play yes. because Johnson had a hand in producing that. Yeah. Um, so this was how people say he helped to cover for mm-hmm. Neville's. Um, uh, true authorship so there's uh yeah again ciphers and acrostics yeah. and um a skipped line readings and yeah. and also masonic things which <laughs> we'll get to we'll that get to we'll enough. get to the freemasons but yeah and and there's also a a few kind of notebooks and, and manuscripts that are generally yeah. accepted to be written by neville um that make mention of some things that might be pointing towards him as having an authorship role. Yeah. He's kind of like one of the more less plausible of the top five. I would say he's he's kind of like uh, uh, an also ad. You know, he's kind of like... He's a, he's a dark horse. Uh, yeah, he's a dark horse <laughs> in terms of Shakespeare scholarship. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but there have been numerous theories that have come out. Uh, a couple books actually in the last couple of years, not the last couple of years, but the last few decades yeah. Yeah. have uh, featured him heavily. So... Um, yeah, that documentary, I'm telling you. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll it was fascinating to watch. Yeah. I'm just throwing that out there. Once more into the breach, dear friends! Once more! I'll close the wall up with our English dead! So now let's talk about the fun five. Yeah. This is, this is where things get interesting. Yeah. Um, and the first, let, let's start it off with uh, number one, with a bullet, Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, man. Queen Elizabeth the First, yes. being the the author of Shakespeare. Do you believe it could be it, it could be true? I haven't believed any of these so far, but uh, this one especially not. Um, <laughs> and there's a there's again the, the the general idea behind this one at the highest level. Uh, there's a lot of connections between what happens in her life and what happens in the plays because she's a monarch and the plays deal with monarchs. Well, the history plays do. And some of the non-history plays deal with it. Like, It'd be weird Hamlet's to write about your own family history like that. That's that's yeah, one way to yeah. air the family laundry. I don't yeah. know that she would necessarily. Yeah. The, the, yeah. Also problematic that she died. Yeah. There's, uh, before there's that. a new king came in. Yeah. And the yeah. plays continued for uh, you yeah. know eleven years. Yeah. She wrote about Macbeth, the Scottish play, knowing yeah. her her great nephew or whatever connection she has to james the first uh yeah no i don't i don't think so um also when would she have written these plays she was a busy woman you know yeah when she's off fighting the spanish armada she brings her little quill and she just on horseback she's a she's a renaissance woman she was a renaissance woman and that's that's one of the things that that i do love about this theory is that you know it's given due deal due service to her being, being a, a badass, being a badass, being a well-educated, well-read, witty by yep. all accounts. Yeah. You know, people yeah. thought she was very witty and, and smart, erudite. Even uh, yeah. she had an active imagination. You know, these are positive qualities that tribe to a monarch that usually is kind of shit on, yeah. uh, because she was she wasn't pumping out babies. You know, um, I, but I even don't know that time, she shit on. Well, she's, at the time, at the time, maybe people, but people wanted her to marry. She's and, she's yeah. quite you know uh, in terms of um, English history, she's not like her father henry the eighth she's you know uh she's one of the three ladies she's one of the three ladies her victoria and elizabeth ii the longest reigning you know peaceful times for seven decades it it works right not quite for her it was 40 some but but still yeah yeah so i mean that's that's one of the ones where you're just like really really but 
at the same time, why not? Why not? You know, like if, if you've like we really haven't seen any smoking guns from any of these other no, ones, so, so why not? Yeah, sure, sure. Same with the second one, yeah. Richard Burbage. Richard Burbage, an actor in Shakespeare's Company. Yeah, the the actor, the, the guy actor. who did all the yeah. big all the big roles. Yeah. You know, he got Hamlet. Um, you know, so uh, yeah, why couldn't he have written them too? Yeah, he was there. Yeah, he was literate. Probably. Sort of. I mean, as, yeah. as literate as you would have to be to, you know, recite a few lines of yeah. um, maybe not particularly well-traveled. But then again, neither was Shakespeare. Exactly. So if if we think the man from Stratford could have done it, then why not Ben Affleck yeah. could have done it. Exactly. Thank you, Lindsay. You were picking up what I was throwing <laughs> down with the Shakespeare and love references and the notes there. Yes. Because, yeah, there's no sign of a Matt Damon to help him out in this particular Oh, maybe one. that was Shakespeare. Yeah, maybe maybe it was a duo thing. Maybe they were paired. Because, I mean, Burbage. Burbage did live longer than Shakespeare, I think. I think he was still acting. I think so. I think, I, did he not... Or maybe he was named in Shakespeare's will as being someone yeah. who had rings made for Yes, Burbage, for the for the King's Men all but, the investors. But not or all something. of them. I think yeah. there were just a handful and I think yeah. Burbage was mentioned by name. That's but right. I, I could be making that up as well. Yeah. Um, so I mean yeah, yeah. Burbage is, is sure. He's uh he's he was there, he was around, um, and he was closely connected he to existed, the place. He existed, he might as well be <laughs> This is what we're talking about. I mean, Lindsay, th- this is where we're at because these are our two. We, we went in order of most plausible to least plausible <laughs> in this list. Uh, and that was one of the most ones. So let's go to the next one. Uh, the Freemasons? The Freemasons. Now, there are a couple of different group authorship theories yes. out there. Um, I picked the Freemasons as the awesomest one because right. it's just anybody who was a Freemason could have written these plays. Um, so there's a catch-all. There's sure. some big names in there. Uh, like Sir Francis Drake, the famous explorer yes. who uh, led to the Uncharted series of video games. Obviously very important. <laughs> they discovered Virginia. Okay, but well, that's okay, true. Sure. Whatever. Uh, Sir Thomas Bodley, who I don't know what he did. Sir Toby Matthew, also no idea what he did. But Sir Thomas More, who famously died Utopia. in 1505, right. was, uh, or 1520 or something like that, uh, wrote Shakespeare. Named as, as mm-hmm. the writer of Shakespeare. Yeah, yeah. So Because and, they were all Freemasons? Yes, these were the Freemason groups. So, so why Freemasons? Uh, basically, I they're think, just. I think every conspiracy theory has to have a Freemason the, angle. So yeah. this is just like the Freemason checkbox. Check yeah, exactly. Kay. It's like, yep. Yeah, well, the Freemasons did it. If you don't know who yep. did it, yep. the Freemasons did yep. it. Okay. Um, and yeah, those are some of the most likely ones. Um, yeah, and again, a lot of them died before Shakespeare <laughs> was born long. or started writing. Yes. So. Um, yes. And in some cases, like in Sir Thomas More, like I read Utopia and I read part of it in the original script. Uh, and the shift from his English to Shakespeare's English even yeah. was fairly substantial. I think it was separated by 70 years or something like that. Oh, yeah. And like the language was changing dramatically in that time. So there's almost no way <laughs> that well, yeah. somebody when at that time got, period could write got, Shakespeare. Shakespeare is writing at the very tail end of this great vowel shift that mm-hmm. we talked about it at length way well, back and three way years back, ago. Yeah, three years ago. Um yeah, it's it's almost it's way more unintelligible, I think, than even us looking back to Shakespeare's time. Would yeah, be Shakespeare oh, yeah. looking back even even fifty or a hundred years yeah. in the past. Yeah, like it yeah. would not have been the they, same. They, I think they were still technically in the medieval era when when Utopia was written. I think that was still Middle English technically. Oh, I might right. be wrong. England England was a little bit behind the curve when it comes to the Renaissance. <laughs> That's true. It takes a long time for things to cross the channel. Yeah, it's true. Even before Brexit. 
even longer after Brexit. Thank you for the topic, Allie. You're welcome. Lindsay. Um, our fourth entry. Aliens. Uh, <laughs> you, oh, I wish you could have seen the hand gesture. <laughs> I did the hand gesture. We'll just post the meme because it's, just, it's aliens. <laughs> but but the, the reason that I like this one so much is because you've not experienced Shakespeare until you've read it in the original Klingon. It's so true. I mean, the undiscovered country went there. They <laughs> revealed the truth of this theory. Yeah, it was written in Klingonese. Klingons yeah, and, uh, William Shakespeare. <laughs> With a Q somewhere yeah, in there. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Wrote, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wrote the uh, the works attributed to William yeah, Shakespeare. Yeah, or, or Little Green Man. I mean, whatever alien. Marvin the Martian. Yeah, yeah. Really E.T. I mean, really any any extraterrestrial <laughs> that you choose could have written Shakespeare yeah. and positive Right form. before or after they went back in time to build the pyramids. Mm, probably around the same time. Yeah. 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 They just had their fingers, their little alien fingers, their yeah. E.T. phone home now, fingers to be in fair, all these pots. To be fair. To, to be fair. fair. Uh, there, I have never met anybody who's actually no. purported <laughs> the alien theory, except for the, the History, uh, History Channel, Channel guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I think yeah. he's really the only one who would ever But has he really, there. or are we just pulling this out of the Oh, I haven't like, looked, this... and I'm not going to. Okay. Not Let's just assume Let's that just assume, aliens yeah. have been purported. You know, put forward as yeah. a as a plausible theory, like our fifth theory, which you pulled out of an episode of Doctor Who. Uh, yes, but it's also just my favorite one. <laughs> this, this is this is literally my favorite theory for who wrote Shakespeare is that nobody wrote Shakespeare, mm-hmm. and it is a bootstrap paradox. And literally, someone delivered the complete works to William Shakespeare in 1588, and they were like, "Hey, you should you should you should write that," and then he did. And then that's how it became the works and they traveled through time. I hate this so much because it's like my brain doesn't, it's like Mm. a Mobius strip. Yeah. It upsets me. Yeah. Uh, I have been watching Dark. We should really do a Dark podcast. Yeah, I think we should. It makes me so sad though. I know, you can't can't watch it. But uh, (sighs) I love Dark for all the the paradoxes and stuff. That's very clear bootstrap paradox right there. You, You like this shit. Mm-hmm. You can go off and do you. It'll be a big spinoff. It'll just be <laughs> me complaining, com- bickering with myself. Actually, that sounds like most podcasts. <laughs> a white you guy are talks a white to himself. Man. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Uh, so I mean, why not? I mean, but I mean, again, significant problems arise well, beyond time travel beyond time travel yeah, yeah. uh the missing plays yeah where are those what happened to those? Why, why aren't yeah. they in there um yeah th- yeah why wouldn't like, yeah why wouldn't shakespeare once he's got the plays like try and make a big deal out of it like oh i've got these amazing plays i should like publish them all at once yeah publish them all at once instead of like out. slowly yeah. rolling them out yeah and like he didn't even publish it until after his death like, yeah he didn't even do it yeah, yeah. so i mean yeah. time travel aside yeah you know, let's focus on the the nitty gritty details. Yeah, of there's there's issues. There's issues in my favorite theory. I will grant that, Lindsay. But um, I, <laughs> I love it. I because then it's just like, don't worry about it. Nobody wrote it. There's no genius. It's just always it's existed. Just always existed, and it will always exist. I hate it. Mm-hmm. Why some are born great, some achieve greatness, and some have greatness thrown upon them. So why do you think there is an authorship question at all? Um, I will say, Lindsay. Having thought about it for three years now, uh, I think it's just the fact that people are unhappy (laughs) with the idea that someone with so little known about him 
could do so much. Hmm. Yeah. It, it, because we, we have so much of his work captured. Yeah. And we, and we have a comparative little amount of historical information. Yeah. yeah. Like if if he just written a couple plays, mm-hmm. let's say he wrote five plays and they were really great and everyone loved them, yeah. Um, and maybe they are still being produced today, like more like a Marlowe. Mm-hmm. Nobody nobody second guesses whether Marlowe was Marlowe, right? But because we have thirty six, thirty eight, nine plays, all the sonnets, yeah. Venus and Adonis, the Rape of Lucrece, like all these amazing plays and poems, yeah. And he has been elevated. It, you, it's just natural to wonder. Like, do we know enough to say, yes, for sure, that guy did it? And I don't know. I think that it's an interesting question that we would even need to know. Why Why do we care yeah, that's so That's a good much? point. Yeah. Like, why does it matter? Like, why can't the works just be, right? Yeah. Because um, we definitely, well, we lionize our... our uh, you know our heroes. We've we've sure. we select them and then we sure. build them up, and we want to know everything about them. But but there are there are like we mentioned at the top of this episode. You know Beowulf and the Bible and Homer, the Iliad. The uh, you know all of this ha- have no basis really in like there's no one person that we know for sure wrote that. Although there had to have been someone who wrote it down the first but, time. Yeah. Yeah. But. Yeah. But we don't really care about that. So well, is it? Do is we? It, don't I think if well, someone could don't, don't if make podcast could, episodes about it, they might. We don't know. We haven't looked Maybe. that deep into it. I mean, I I think if you were a classics scholar, there probably are people who are but trying the, the to find out who Homer was. Yes, and the, but you the know? historical record of you know Anglo-Saxon England, you know, probably isn't going to be very thorough, right? And yeah. and and even you know, the few books of the Bible that we know are written by whoever yeah. is named as the writer of that yeah. book. Yeah, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, yeah. Right, I mean, it's it's still, there are other things, that, you know, going further back to, like, the Old Testament, you're not going to find historical evidence. There is no historical. Everyone knows Job. Right, yes, totally. I don't care much for Job. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, okay, but, yeah. But, so, like, I guess that's that's my main sticking point is that we care at all. And then the fact that the people who do care and make this a big deal, like we said, are so focused on the fact that William Shakespeare was poor and uneducated and not well-traveled and so he couldn't have written these plays. And there's that classist argument that somebody low-born can't possibly produce something mm-hmm. of value. Yeah. And that irks me as yeah. someone who is not particularly highborn. <laughs> I'd like to believe that my life my life's work has value. Well and like <laughs> well I mean like how many examples are there throughout his I mean like uh, what's his name? David Copperfield, the other way around is C D Dickens. Dickens. Wasn't particularly. Is that how you remember the yep, name of David? Absolutely, DC and then CD. Yep. Yeah. Uh, wow. So I mean, he wasn't particularly well educated, but he he, he, made, he was a self-made man uh, in the Victorian sense. You know, like he well, but he like, knew like, enough. And that's that's the thing. Like, at what point do we start? Like, now anybody can be reasonably educated enough to do something like this. Yeah, to so, become a writer. Yeah, so anybody like, can be why, a writer. Why? Why? <sighs> why is it so hard to believe back then? Yeah. Yeah. That, I, I think that's the question it. that I think anti Stratfordians. Sh- I mean, I think there, there's there's reasoning you can put up, like you'd say, well, in the time, 
Uh, Shakespeare, you know, a fourth grade education wouldn't get you much, but in actuality, you know, it really would. A fourth it, like, grade education back then is better than a 12th grade <laughs> education now. In things like Latin and Greek, absolutely. In history and all sorts Mathematics, of stuff. Mathematics, probably. Well, probably not. They didn't, yeah. they didn't have zeros. Like, <laughs> but, you know, like, okay. like, there, like there's, there's, there is a, a classist, a really strong classist yeah. element to it that, that, that really irks me. Um, and I think it is, again, it's, it's telling that you uh, view it that if you view it that way that he couldn't have done it because he was lowborn. Yeah, I think it says more about you than Shakespeare's class situation because yeah. uh, he was comfortably middle class of the time. He yeah. did have an education, or most likely we don't know for sure that he and went the to school, theater but, was not something that highborn yeah people people did. did. Yeah, so so it you makes would sense expect for that a, the people involved in in a theater production would be yeah. We view it as that, high class now, and you're projecting that onto yes. this series at the time. There, I mean, there are other reasons that people cite, like the facts. I remember we had, uh, during our acting Shakespeare episode, I think, yeah. um, one of the actresses that appeared on that episode, uh, she explicitly said, I'm an anti-Stratfordian because Shakespeare never taught his daughter how to read. Right. And... And to an extent, I kind of get that because he has, you know, these really strong feminist characters yeah. these female characters that have some guts and some chutzpah yeah and uh he doesn't even teach his own daughter to read but to a certain extent shakespeare was what we do know about him is he was very conventional in a lot of ways yeah. his characters are not him and i yeah. think that that's another thing that all of the we mentioned it many times here people reading into the plays the lives of these other alternatives yeah. we don't even do that with shakespeare usually or when we do people are like you can't do that because he was writing fiction. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and like even something like Hamlet and Hamnet, you know, the most right. obvious parallel, I do it because I think it makes, I think it's a neat parallel and it's a sad story and his son dying was sad. So why not connect the two? I think yeah. there's no harm in that. But realistically, I know that that doesn't mean that Hamlet's yeah. about Hamnet, you know? Right, right, right. Even though I want it to be, I can't come out and say that. So right. uh, the fact that he's written powerful women like uh what's her face in that play <laughs> you um, named them all Lindsay, right there <laughs> in but, yeah, uh, in the merchant of venice merchant of venice right yeah, and, and like these these high-born well-educated women doesn't mean that his own daughters would be that way yeah and even still there's not a huge amount of evidence that his daughters didn't know how to write they just yeah. signed things with an x which, which is how everybody kind of did it and he wasn't really around to raise his daughters yeah so i mean it's it's just yeah like the those those kinds of arguments they don't and it's not fair to pick on a lot of these individual yeah, you know, yeah, arguments because yeah. they're not here to defend themselves. Yeah. But but it just these are the things that people have said over time that have stuck with us and, mm-hmm. and have been like, you know, even though I can see why people want to believe. I, and I, I think the other reason why there is an authorship question is because we we want Occam's razor is fine and great, <laughs> but we want the, the juicier story. Yeah. We want the deeper story. Yeah. So let's you know, make it 10 times more complicated because that makes it more interesting. And then we feel smart because we understand it, but maybe you don't. So I think that's, that is where a lot of this might stem from as well. Um, But yeah, it just seems like the, the, the more complicated these things are, um, the, the more likely they are to attract believers to come to it yeah the yeah it's 
again, it comes back to that. If you if you have a mind that there are conspiracies, yeah. you can find them anywhere. Yeah. And, and this one is definitely open to it mm-hmm. because we don't know much about them. So right. why not? Why not? Why wasn't there a big conspiracy? You can never answer that question because you weren't there either, right? Like, yeah. it just, again, it's that absence of evidence, meaning an evidence of absence. <laughs> absence right. Yeah. Like, they, they're looking at, we don't know about Shakespeare. Let's fill it in with something yes. we do know about. Yes. And that's that's human and that's normal. And I, I don't really blame anybody for that. And I no. think, you know, some of these have better evidence than others. Um, but I think none of them have any evidence compared to the mountains of evidence that people knew Shakespeare, talked to him, called him a playwright, published his poems, talked about him, and you know, wrote nice things after he was dead. <laughs> you know, like all these, there's way more evidence in my mind for the man from Stratford. If I longer stay, we shall begin our ancient bickering. That's a fine way to end this episode, as far as I'm concerned. Oh, but we're not done quite yet, because we've got our ancient bickerings. Our last ancient bickerings for uh, the podcast, the season of our podcast. Yeah, uh, um, yeah. so we, we wanted to talk about, uh, on this topic, Lindsay, if, if Shakespeare didn't write Shakespeare, who would you want to have written Shakespeare? Um, or who do you think is most likely? Maybe both of them combined. I I want Marlowe to be... That's who I want. Okay. I, I think that there is just... Marlowe is such a cool guy. So badass. Like, I just want him to to have faked his death and... <laughs> and 13 days later, picked just up be the like, quill again and be fuck like, fuck yeah, it, yeah, I'm going to be a playwright <laughs> and I'm going to be famous and no one's going to know it's me. And I just think that's so cool. <laughs> I love it. Maybe that's why it's the second best bed, too, because in the will. Sorry, just jumping in there yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. jumping into the theory. Yeah. Because uh, he never slept with... Uh, Mrs. Shakespeare when he took over uh, Will who mm-hmm. he stabbed in a bar fight okay uh, and then deposited his body and pretended it was Marlowe's okay yeah there it is that's why the second he gave best her the bed the second best bed because yeah, because that's the one that he, that she slept in he took the best bed for himself because he's a dick because he's a well he's Marlowe he's a dick and then <laughs> but he was pretending to be Shakespeare this whole time so now he had to come we've got in this and, like, whole you're, you're, you're taking the conspiracy theory on I another wanna I want to do it I want to just go deep into it uh, yeah Marlowe who, who would you pick I Marlowe was a close one, but I think Bacon is okay. my favorite. Um, he was one of the first ones identified. Uh, he is, he was really, you know, scholarly dude. Uh, I can see, I've read some of Sir Francis Bacon's uh, uh, philosophical no, musings. Tell us more about how yes. fancy you are. Well, yes, it was quite, quite something. Uh, and I can see the whole philosophical argument mm-hmm. of them having a shared philosophy coming across in the plays because yeah. I think there is that's one of the things I've loved reading the plays with you Lindsay is oh, looking well no oh. I, I mean yes but <laughs> what I mean is that I've uh, I've enjoyed it because I kind of do get a sense that there was a phil- philosophy of Shakespeare mm. uh, buried in there and it is kind of proto-humanist and it is open to interpretation and it's not uh, wedded to one specific type of way of looking at the world um, and that kind of matches up with Bacon. Mm-hmm. He was a little more objective reality is objective and you can access it. You know, he didn't have the poet's thing of like, well, looking at it from this angle, you can see it what this way. Love? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, was, it was a little less open-ended. Gotcha. Um, but at the same time, two smart dudes both writing around the same time. Sure. Bacon. Bacon. Slap it on the grill. Let's char it up and feast it down. 
I think Sir Francis Bacon was probably the first one that I knew about because mm-hmm. of that SCTV skit, The Adventures of Shake and Bake. The Adventures of Shake and Bake. Right? Yeah. Which is a parody of the Baconian theory. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if we can find a clip, we'll put that. Because yeah. that, that's an interesting Canadian connection, SCTV. Yes, of course. Yes. Um, yeah. A connection to Edmonton as well, mm-hmm. having been yes. filmed here oh, a few nice. blocks away from us. Oh, I don't think that episode was filmed here. I think that I was think they moved to Toronto. Already, but yeah, still. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Shake and bake. Yeah. Uh, Way to bring it back home. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. And also reminds me of chicken. Parting such sweet sorrow that I shall say goodnight till it be morrow. Aiden, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you where we're gonna go next, but uh, we don't have a next yet. We do have a next. We have a next. We have a next, but but we're not gonna. We haven't quite finalized it quite yet. And for Shakespeare, this This is is it. This is the end of the road. Yeah. Seventy-three episodes of Shakespeare. Yeah. It's been awesome. It's been fun. I think our goal was to read the the collected works of William Shakespeare. We did it. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty proud of and us. And I've, I've enjoyed the heck out of this process, let me tell you. I will say there, there have been some moments that were a bit of a slog. Um, some of the BBC <laughs> productions yeah. of Shakespeare yeah. are a little dry. Yep, um, but and sometimes that's all we had. Them. Yep, so we watched and, those. Uh, and but, but then there were some, uh, you know, really great film adaptations that we got yeah. our hands on. And, um, you know, I read plays that I... Had never, had never touched. I would never have probably touched. Like Pericles, yep. I would never have read. And measure I, I enjoyed measure. it. Yeah. 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 So, so it's been fun. Um, it has been. I wish we had done a few more movies, but this has been the pandemic podcast. You know, yeah. this has been our pandemic podcast. Mm-hmm. And there just weren't that many Shakespeare movies that came out yeah. uh, in this time. We, we did miss uh, the theatrical run of uh, the Coen brothers, or I think just Ethan cohen uh the macbeth with denzel washington that didn't yeah. just come out we never and did and then get the one the ophelia version where it's hamlet yes. but ophelia's point of view with uh daisy ridley, ridley i think yeah isn't it? yeah so we might maybe we'll maybe we'll do a another follow-up episode later maybe. on down the road when it's safe to go to movie theaters again <laughs> yeah or maybe we'll just watch them all on netflix and binge it and you know do just, a quick yeah vomit, vomit our thoughts like yeah. we do most times yeah exactly we're good at that now yeah. So I guess this is us saying a fond farewell to all of you Shakespearean nuts who have followed along with us yeah. the last three years. It's been a slice. And uh, yeah, stay tuned to our socials. We will be posting. Well, really, it's just Twitter. I think we've abandoned yeah, our we, Facebook we've page. We've pretty much abandoned Facebook. We've so, given up on YouTube. Yeah. We, are, we are a Twitter, <laughs> we are only, a Twitter family only now. Yes. Um, maybe TikTok. Maybe, maybe we'll start the Bix TikTok. Wow. The Bix Talk. That's great. <laughs> Maybe that's coming. I don't know. Um, but but yeah, we will have uh, a few announcements about our next season. Season five? Yeah. Season five of the podcast. Um, when we figure that out. Yeah. But yeah. Thanks, Aiden. This has been fun. Yeah. Thank you, Lindsay. This has been great. You can find all our episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast fix. If you want to tell us what you think of Shakespeare, his plays, poems, or any of the topics we discuss, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us on Twitter, that's at TheBixPod, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TheBixPod, or by email at TheBixPod at gmail.com. That's our cue to exit.